Hello and welcome back to Sepsis Voices with Dr Ron. Uh, that's me, I'm your host Dr Ron Daniels and we're going to be talking about maternal sepsis today. At the time of recording it is uh, mid-May and it is maternal sepsis month. So it's really important and timely that we raise attention to this important issue. And joining me today is Dr. Poppy Gibson, who is an academic and a mum, and she's going to join us to share her experience of maternal sepsis. And, and really, I think we need to be extremely grateful to Poppy, because this is actually the first time she's talked about this openly in a forum like this. So we're going to be talking about various issues, including how recovery can be especially challenging for new mums and touching on some of the various support options and resources that are available to people who have had maternal sepsis. Anyway, enough of me. Welcome, Poppy. Do you want to take a few moments to introduce yourself and tell us about your work and your kids? Thanks, Ron. Thanks. Hi and hello, everybody listening. So, yes, my name is Poppy. And when I'm not teaching, I'm a mum of three, a busy mum of three, as those parents amongst the listeners will know. Um, it doesn't end when you come home from work. That's when the real fun begins. But um, I love being a mum. And it just so happens that sepsis is a part of, of that parenthood journey for me. And um, like Ron says, I've never actually recorded my voice speaking about this I'm really grateful um the UK Sepsis Trust shared my story on their voices page recently so you might want to have a read of that but um yeah Ron this is the first time I'm kind of chatting about it so thanks for having me not at all and and we'll be ever so gentle with you because this is going to be an emotional journey but of course the reason you're doing it is it it it's going to help others so uh, you know it's fantastic that you're doing this I'm just going to take a few moments to explain what maternal sepsis is for some of our listeners to whom the term might be a new thing. Well, a reminder that sepsis is the way the body responds to infection. So it's always triggered by an infection. But in sepsis, the immune system goes into overdrive. And in maternal sepsis, this is, of course, sepsis that happens during pregnancy, during childbirth or in the weeks and early months after childbirth, when we call it puerperal sepsis. It can also be a side effect of complications of pregnancy, including very sadly abortion, but also the need for uh, examination by health professionals, instrumentation up to and including caesarean section. So there are a number of reasons that pregnancy can bring about risk factors. And some of the warning signs are the signs of infection. So a temperature or a high fever, rapid heart rate, difficulty breathing, abdominal pain, vaginal bleeding or foul smelling discharges, as well as particularly after pregnancy, very painful, tender and engorged breasts, as well as general weakness or fatigue. So, Poppy, why don't we start with your story and how you first noticed something was wrong and when you first realised that it was something that needed hospital attention? Uh, so I have to say now, hearing all those symptoms back, <laughs> I think, oh my gosh, how did I not know about sepsis at the time? But and I, and I feel quite ignorant that I didn't know about sepsis. I didn't know about maternal sepsis. And so I think this is part of the problem. It wasn't something that anyone was asking, like, could it be sepsis? I, that didn't really come into conversation until, you know, a couple of weeks later but um so really what happened it was my second child so you know pregnancy was going well and then it just so happened around week 34 I think it was uh, so getting towards the end of the pregnancy looking forward to 
meeting my little one and I, and I just started feeling really unwell and um, it was really hard to breathe like my breath was really shallow I felt like I couldn't breathe fully I felt like I couldn't like expand my lungs and it felt like something was wrong on one side of my body kind of like under my rib cage on, on my left side like like I couldn't breathe and something was wrong there and the midwife said why not go to A&E like get it checked out so you know and you feel awful like oh I'm making a mountain out of a mole here so but I, I agreed because I could tell something wasn't right and I'd been pregnant before and you know delivered my child and and this definitely felt a new not just a normal pregnancy niggle because I think particularly for new mums the first time you're pregnant you don't know what to expect like everything's a surprise um but but I'd already gone through one pregnancy and I was like this this is a new pain like this isn't something I've had before so so I did go to A&E um and you know after a a wait there I had the x-ray and when they looked at the x-ray they could see on the side where I, I was complaining of the pain was like a shadow so on my lung at the base of my lung was like a shadow and after kind of all, all the people looked at the x-ray and talked about it they said oh we think just your lung has become compressed because you know and I had the I can't remember what it's called around the condition where you have extra fluid in pregnancy um yes <laughs> so that that thing um so oh, my bump was huge I'm really small and so they just said I, I think it's compression of your lung and that's why you're finding it so hard to breathe because you know that your lungs were kind of squidged so I, then I felt really awful that I had wasted everyone's time all day. <laughs> so I went home and um, completely unrelated, but kind of a, a blessing in disguise was that um, I had the disorder, the liver disorder, where they have to deliver your baby at 36 weeks. It's the one where you get really itchy. So some of mm-hmm. you listening might know that one. They get really, really itchy. And um, so it just so happened they wanted to induce my baby. So the pregnancy was cut short anyway, and I was still struggling to breathe and kind of felt a relief when they said let's go ahead with the induction whereas normally that might be a bit scary um I just felt like okay I'm just ready to deliver this baby and hopefully you know feel better again um they delivered the baby um and I had you know I was induced and gave birth naturally to the baby um but things like didn't start to improve then if anything I was feeling worse and obviously anyone listening that's given birth knows your body does feel awful (laughs) after you give birth like nothing you can imagine but, but it wasn't even anything to do with, with any of the birth pain. It was still this pain in my side that seemed to be getting worse. It hurt to sit up. It hurt to sit down. It hurt to, to pick my baby up. Um, but luckily, we, we went home. You know, the baby was fine, which was the main thing. And I think when you're, you're a mum or a parent, like, the baby is suddenly the main thing. It's the main concern. So I was like, the baby's fine. Do you know what? I'll be fine. So I went home um, back to my, my other little sibling that enjoyed having this new baby in the family and everything was going fine. And then just, you know, I just kept deteriorating. I, I felt like a husk. I don't know what, what other way I can say. <laughs> I felt like some kind of like zombie mom or something. Um, it just I felt really sweaty. I, I didn't have an appetite. I just it just hurt to move. So I didn't really want to do anything. But obviously, I'm like, I've got this baby. I have to engage with motherhood. So um, kind of just got on with it, you know, enjoyed taking photos of my baby and sharing them. And everyone's asking, how's the baby? Everyone's forgotten about the fact that I wasn't well, you know, that's and I'm, I'm trying to forget about that as well. And then it just came this critical point um, nine days later that I it was, I just remember it so clearly as well. I was sat in bed, I'd managed to breastfeed my baby and pop him back in the Moses basket. 
I was in so much pain. My husband came upstairs and I just went, oh my gosh, put the heating on. It is absolutely freezing. And I'm, I'm sat there, like I've said in your voices story on your website, I was sat in flannel pajamas, like woolly socks, my dressing gown, like my duvet, like I was like a little like huddled babushka in all my robes. And my husband was like, it's not even cold. I was like, please put the heating on. And he was like, something's not right. Why are you so cold? Um, and then literally as he kind of questioned me, I just started shaking it was the oddest thing like my whole body was just like shivering so shivery that and I couldn't control it um and he's like something's not right here so he rang 111 and explained the symptoms um and they and they had thought it was pneumonia that the lung um compression that hadn't cleared up I had been I missed this vital part of the story I had been taking pneumonia medication um for a couple of weeks and administering something called clexane which is um yeah. I think a blood thinner is it a blood it thinner? is yeah yeah oh good <laughs> I, learned, <laughs> I learned some you know when you have sepsis you'll learn some <laughs> medical stuff in the meantime so I remember um administering the clexane as well and uh, like an EpiPen type thing and and that was an- another thing that now looking back was really weird I was having to inject this kind of EpiPen type thing into my thigh and in the last few times I was injecting it before this critical point with the shivery incident I kept thinking that that it was like an ink almost like a tattoo ink going into my leg and I kept thinking as as the clexone was going into my leg it was leaving like black tree roots in my leg now that sounds really odd <laughs> to say that um but but I did be I delivered my clexone just before I was shivering and I'd been having these weird thoughts about it but you know you're just you're exhausted as a new mum so you just think, you just think I'm, I'm going a bit crazy and yeah to cut a long story short 111 said come back in so we went into the hospital, sat around in A&E for, for a day, couldn't give a urine sample. So I felt like a failure. They were like, please fill this sample bottle. Um, and I couldn't. And I now know that, like you say, Ron, is a symptom of sepsis. Um, but still no one had said sepsis at this point. So I'm kind of nine days um, post birth. And obviously this has been going on for a couple of weeks. And finally, finally, um, this amazing doctor came out and he, he just said, I think the pneumonia is a red herring and he ordered an MRI scan and it was only at that point that they found that literally my whole body and it was the most disgusting thing I ever heard in my life was filled with pus from a kidney abscess uh, on that left side where I'd originally thought something was wrong and they thought the lung was compressed turns out the lung was compressed and the shadow was all there because of this kidney abscess that had been unspotted for for potentially a week two weeks I don't know how long um and my and my whole body was filled with pus I had to they ordered straight away get a drain which is again the most disgusting thing you can go through just when you think giving birth isn't you know is that's definitely a low point for a woman's body like it was it was worse there was this bag with like a vacuum cleaner thing attached on my side and yeah and that that was it and into um intensive care then that night um and that that was kind of when they said it's sepsis. Wow, that that's I mean, that's such an incredible story. And obviously, it's a frightening story, particularly if any listeners are pregnant now. Um, and we're going to come on to sort of uh, some general um, guidance on how common this is and, and how it's important people are aware, but don't live in constant fear of this. So, of course, of course, we'll, we'll come on to that. Um, had you heard of sepsis before this happened? I have to admit, no, <laughs> but I had heard the word septic. So I knew like, you know, don't let something get infected and become septic. So I kind of heard that, you know, as a child 
in the garden when you cut your leg on an old nail or something so I kind of knew that and then I must admit when I still had my faculties at that at that MRI scan they said it's sepsis and I googled it and it came up saying like originally known as blood poisoning and I was just like oh my days <laughs> but yeah that, that was pretty much my when I first started to learn about it literally at that time yeah, no, that, that that's it's so common that that people have sort of vaguely heard this word. I think so many people associate sepsis with a dirty cut, but of course, that's fewer than ten percent of cases of sepsis, and far more common are pneumonias and urinary infections and things. But I, I really want to highlight a, a learning point for any health professionals listening from your story, which was please listen to the patient or their families if the patient can't communicate because you said from the very outset something was going down the left hand side of your body that you, you know you felt the left side of your body was 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 breaking down and and lo and behold that's exactly where the problem was so we health professionals we we like to look at x-rays and ct scans and we we see the thing we hone in on but if it doesn't fit with the story, look for something else. And I really want to hammer home that um, that learning point for health professionals. So you said that this was your second child and, and you, obviously you'd been through a pregnancy before, you'd been through childbirth before, and you knew what normal felt like, if if it can be described as, <laughs> as normal, but yeah. and, and something felt very different. Now, for first-time parents, they might not know what normal, well, they won't know what normal feels like in terms of pregnancy. They can seek advice from um, other people in the family who've been through this, but they won't have direct first-hand experience and they might not be able to assert themselves. They might think they're going to be a nuisance. So what what would you say to, you know, you, if this was your first pregnancy and you were going through what you were going through, or another first-time mum who was developing symptoms like these? Good question. So, do you know what I think I'd say? I get I guess if you think of it like a cold, like we all get colds all the time, don't we? And when you have a cold, you feel unwell and you have those moments where you're like, oh, you know, I'm I'm so poorly. But you kind you know in the back of your mind that you're going to get better and you're just, you know, being a bit dramatic. But but the way this felt differently for me, despite all the other pregnancy, you know, delights and aches and pains and you know, the swollen ankles and, and everything, um, this to me just kept getting worse so whereas like other symptoms come and go this was very like constant so I think if you know if you're experiencing a pain and really a pain I think that that's the main thing as well not just like a niggle it really was a pain to the point where I mean on that kind of ninth day after I gave birth the, the day we went in for the MRI scan I I actually started to think I don't think I can live with this pain anymore and I have a very high pain threshold and for anyone listening who's you know given birth you do too like you've survived something really super painful but but this felt worse than anything like anything I've ever had to like I say to the point that I was sitting there thinking I, I literally can't keep doing this anymore and so I think if you're starting to feel that something is that bad clearly something isn't right yeah uh, absolutely so it's uh, is it it's kind of trusting your instincts isn't it you know although you've not had an infection in pregnancy before if you're a first-time mum you've had infections before and it's just trusting your instinct this doesn't feel right mm -hmm. definitely yeah. trusting your instinct and then definitely speaking out as well so you know like I say speaking to the midwife speaking to people in my family and then finally thinking you know what I can't put up with this anymore it is time to call 111 or time to go to the hospital um and it's hard because the baby is your world at that point but you need to think how are you going to be a healthy parent 
if if you're not well in yourself so you also need to put yourself first at that point as well I think and I think that's what was so hard for me because I was so caught up in being a new mum um you need to actually think are you being the you know that is that the best situation for your baby to have someone who's who's not 100% around them yeah a- a- absolutely and I promise that we'd we'd sort of talk about the numbers and we're not going to go into a sort of incredible detail um and I think we have to be very grateful and conscious and acknowledge that we are in a high income country with a very mature and effective health service and um uh, the majority of our population having quite reasonable access to those healthcare services. The situation in low to middle income countries is of course very different and maternal sepsis in countries uh, like those is a very, very real and immediate threat. But for balance, I think we should just talk about here in the UK and in high income countries like the UK, this is pretty uncommon. And the vast majority of women who develop sepsis during or after pregnancy go on to survive. We're going to talk about what survival is like um, a a bit later on. Sepsis as a cause of death in pregnant women in the UK, it's between about one case and about three cases each year. So it's not a common thing. Obviously, if it's three deaths, that is three deaths too many. But that is among around 700,000 people who deliver babies safely each year. So I think it really is important that we reassure anyone listening the context here that what happened to you is not a common occurrence. But Mm -hmm. do we need to tell mums to be about this in antenatal classes and, and through other avenues? We tell them about what to expect from a normal pregnancy. We we tell them about um, advice around childbirth and, and pain relief. But do we need to teach them also about some of the common conditions that they might want to look out for? So I think obviously UTIs are something that you know you're going to have more probably when you're pregnant. So I think as a mum you or an expectant mum, you do want to know what is coming up. Like it's better, you know, what's the thing better, the devil you know or whatever. So I think in a way if I had known oh if you start you know something starts feeling really painful could it be sepsis could you know something which again they never really pinpointed what started the maternal sepsis for me but I wonder whether it was something from connected to a UTI because obviously it was my kidney so it's connected to the waterworks somewhere you know more than that than me Ron but um, yeah, I think, and and I also just wanted to praise you as well and um, UK Sepsis Trust because I know there's been a lot of stuff in the news um, about the great story you've done on Coronation Street, our um, famous English TV show, and I think it just shows how putting you know something so so simple as a storyline in a popular show helps raise awareness. So I think even if you know not everyone attends classes, let's be realistic as well. I don't think you know certainly with my first pregnancy I did. I went to every single one, and then the second pregnancy comes and for any parents listening, you've had, you know, more than one child, you may have been the same as me, you kind of feel like more confident, you don't need to go to every um, antenatal class. So I think thinking of those other creative ways, like you've done through um, helping support Carnation Street with their storyline is is another great way just to raise awareness in a more kind of gentle way as well. Okay, so that's really helpful. Then, so, so what you're saying, really, it's, it's about a multimodal approach, we use any mm-hmm. Um, devices and resources that we can that we can get hold of to remind the general population around the risk of sepsis and I suppose it's our job to sort of hammer home the point 
that this is not only a condition that affects very old people or very frail neonates. This is something that can affect anyone at, at, at any age. Now, oh, exactly. Yeah, I was, I was in my late 20s. So again, you would not expect someone in their late 20s to be in intensive care, you know, on, on death's door because of an infection. And like you say as well, Ron, like we think of sepsis with like a rusty cut, but th there was no external cut on my body. So... Absolutely. And and that's why we were really pleased that Coronation Street wanted the story to affect the character called Ryan Connor, who's in his 20s in the programme. You know, it really hammers home the point that this is something that can affect anybody at any age. So just coming back to, to your story, Poppy, and, you know, that, that doctor who sort of described the pneumonia as a as a red herring and found the kidney abscess, you know, that set of actions probably saved your life. Um, and, you know, it was still not an easy ride. You described that you ended up in intensive care where I understand, or you told me when we met in a train station that you witnessed a death and you experienced um, odd feelings or odd memories or odd visions and, and almost became paranoid at times. Mm -hmm. um, what, do you, what would you want people to know about experience in intensive care? And, you know, obviously let's hope no listeners end up in intensive care, but how would you describe you navigating through the intensive care stay and immediate period thereafter, the bits of it you can remember? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, obviously, for, for most people listening, hopefully, yeah, you haven't visited an intensive care uh, unit, or if you have, you know, it was maybe to see someone else who is very ill. So already it's probably got negative connotations. I think the only time I had seen kind of intensive care type settings were on films, you know, where someone's at death's door on a film. So so already for me, when they said we need to admit you to intensive care, that felt very scary. But the main thing I would say is just keep calm. Like the fact that you're there with the experts who are going to do their best for you, you just have to trust in them. And and honestly, I'm so grateful, obviously, from that doctor, like you say, Ron, who said it was a red herring. And I, I, that's my favorite phrase that I use always through life, <laughs> like because I, I think you're right. And and there's another fishy related thing I'll briefly tell you as well. Um, so he said, I think it's a red herring. And when they did the MRI scan, then um, I went onto a, like a small ward while they kind of investigated and my blood pressure was super low. My temperature was super high and I kept having the shake, the shaky thing. And, and they said, why don't you order some lunch? Like, we don't know what's wrong. You might be here a while. And I ordered the smoked haddock. And um, and I just remember as they wheeled my lunch in, I begged someone to open the window because I kept saying now nah, I was really hot at this point. They they wheeled in this smoked haddock, like filled the ward with this really horrible smell. And then I started the like the proper shakes and like everyone was like running over. My 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 bed was surrounded by staff. And I and to this day now, I cannot have smoked fish. <laughs> so <laughs> also I would say for anyone who does go into hospital, don't order the smoked fish. <laughs> um, but but I would say, yeah, just trust just trust the experts, because I, I felt so scared that, you know, I was like, what is sepsis? And like I said, I quickly Googled it, found out it was blood poisoning, which sounded really scary. And now I know we don't we don't use that term, but that was what I'd seen in black and white. I was like, oh, my gosh, like anything to do with poison cannot be a good outcome for me. And I've seen enough Disney films to know that that is not a good scenario. Um, and and again, I think that's another thing um, that I wish I'd done more at the time was maybe to talk about my experience afterwards. So intensive care does seem really scary because, the, you know, lots of really foreign noises. Um, you're going to see people probably as poorly, if not more poorly than you. Um, and yeah, the one thing you mentioned there, Ron, that the, the old man opposite. So I was kind of sat up in bed. No, you know, I couldn't really do anything apart from watch this old man in the bed opposite 
get weaker and weaker until he died and watching someone die um is is really horrible when you're powerless to do anything and then you know seeing the doctor kind of fill in the notes and then yeah the doctor came and sat next to my bed next so I was like oh man like no I'm on the conveyor belt to death and <laughs> when you're in that situation you know I, I wasn't able to talk at that point I, I was very ill and very weak and kind of attached to everything so so all you have is your thoughts and what you can see and what you can see is scary and what you're thinking about is scary so I guess at at that time you just have to be patient and rest but when you come out and I think this is something we'll probably talk a bit more about Ron isn't it but yeah just like just talk about it because it is a massive thing that that's happened and I mean I'm really grateful now that Ron we're talking about it eight you're finally helping me eight years later (laughs) but man like do I wish that I'd, I'd done that eight years ago and I think that would have helped me kind of maybe not closure and I don't know for anyone that, that ever has substance I don't know if you'll ever get closure on it if I'm totally honest but I think it would have helped me heal quicker if if I had so I would just say nothing can probably prepare you for intensive care but just talk about it when you come out and you know I'm sure people will listen whatever you know whoever and whatever you can find to listen just talk about it and, and it will normalize it for you. Yeah, and I think we are generally as a as a profession, we're we're not good at describing to people who've been through such a serious illness in intensive care what life's going to be like when they get home. And 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 often people leave and they've they've had these paranoid feelings and they've they've had hallucinations and their brains all over the place, but no one said that's normal. That will get better. And it's just so important that we we reassure people that that will happen. But how about the other people in in the immediate family? Because obviously, you know, it, your, your husband was there and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and then he had your son and had to look after him almost as a as a single dad for, mm-hmm. for, for a while. And that must have been, you know, obviously an awful, awful time for you, but quite a strange time for them. And, and you know, your husband might at times have not even known that you were going to come home. What? what have you managed, you know, I'm sure you have, but have you two talked about it and, and how it was? And, and I suppose also, how did it affect bonding with your newborn son? Yeah, so many good questions. And I think I think that's a sign as well when you know something is wrong, because so when I as soon as I went into intensive care, I wasn't even really thinking about my family that sounds really awful but you're, you're you're just kind of waiting to die or waiting to see if you live you're not sure you know the, you know they're doing all they can like I had to have blood transfusions I remember one really funny thing not funny but they <laughs> I had to have blood transfusion because they I think this is what they said to me um because I'd obviously been like blasted with antibiotics something like my blood was diluted or I don't know if that's yeah okay okay I remember correctly yeah Um, it'd be more if they've given you lots of intravenous fluids it can um it can send your blood cell count down a bit okay so is this the reason you'd have a blood transfusion yes yeah okay so I they said you're going to need a blood transfusion so again I'm kind of again like I say lying there not able to really communicate just staring and and I still had to sign a blood transfusion waiver (laughs) I remember like oh wow I I I don't feel like I can really read or sign this but I I presume I did because they gave me I had two blood transfusions um and yeah so I think you're it's a very strange place to be in because 
you forget or maybe not forget but your mind's in a very strange place where you're trying to come to terms with you know they they're explaining to you what's happening in your body and you kind of know it's pretty serious and so you're when I do remember one time my husband came to visit and and I just said look after my boys for me and and I and I just thought oh my god like I might not see them again I hadn't seen them for for days I was in intensive care for nine days um but I can't I can't really explain I didn't miss them I think I just was trying to make peace with not seeing them again which this sounds awful I'm the worst mother but I kind of you kind of feel like you have to distance yourself from from your worldly life and when you're in intensive care anyway you could be on another planet like you're just surrounded by (laughs) beeping machines and you're not even obviously eating or drinking or moving around you're just being fed by machines so you you do feel not human anymore and you know everyone's seen everything you know everyone's (laughs) swabbed down everything I've got like I described earlier on my horrible little vacuum bag of disgustingness coming out of my body so you kind of you feel like almost like an alien that they're maybe keeping alive and so you kind of start to distance yourself and I think you know that's a very strange place to be in where you don't want to miss your life too much you start to prepare for death but then to survive is crazy and it's obviously yeah my my husband was incredible he ran to the local supermarket and got milk and bottles and figured out how you do all that stuff because I'd been breastfeeding exclusively and and he told me after like um his parents had come uh, to stay in our house. Like, obviously, I don't know what was happening. You can't FaceTime like you can normally when you're away from your family. Um, and so, yeah, they they were just all so amazing. I can't, you know, I can't ever thank him and, and the, the family enough. And yeah, I guess it's really hard when you come out. And I think I think maternal sepsis adds another layer because even when you come out of hospital, you're not just you now you're still you with the baby to care for and and yeah you mentioned bonding there Ron so I did talk about this a bit in my my sepsis voices story on your website but yeah that was that was the worst bit because I just he wasn't mine like I got home I hadn't seen him for for you know days 10 10 11 12 days I can't remember and and he just he was wearing clothes I didn't recognize it had been washed in like the wrong washing powder I hadn't really smelt smells for apart from like sterile smells for a long time and so everything smelt really odd and strong that sounds really weird thing to say but I was so used to having no no smells and everything being beige to come home and suddenly it was noisy and suddenly I was having to care for myself and and so it also feels quite scary and I think particularly when it's sepsis because I'd been in the hospital where I knew everyone was caring for me all the time and then you I remember coming home I came home in a taxi and like I'd, I'd had uh, rehab uh, to walk just over a couple of days before I came home but even then like you sit down you're like, oh my god am I, am I going to cut myself on the sofa and, and like everything seems dangerous and when you're first discharged I was like oh like everything's it's a bit scary it was, um, it was my house but I hadn't known my house for so long and your, your mind's been on such a journey like your mind's exhausted that going back to real life seemed really scary and really not like my life like my life was was had been machines and and people looking after me and now now I'm back in control it's kind of like you've been put back in the driving seat and you're like whoa <laughs> I wasn't ready to come back <laughs> wow that's a really kind of eye-opening description and and that's probably common to huge numbers of of people who survive serious illness or intensive care this sort of you know 
one thing I can share is that this strange sense of smell and taste that that's totally normal and you know as you will have learned it tends to gradually re return to normal but the, these strange symptoms that the, these after effects of serious illness we don't tell people about and we need to get a lot better at that so um uh, coming on to you know your broader recovery journey what 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 support did you manage to access what 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 was offered to you and what have you found in uh, the eight years since you were critically ill? Well, the first kind of seven and a half years of that <laughs> are quite are quite easy because I'm going to say none. Um, wow. And I, and again, though, I think it's that added complexity of being a new mom and just feeling so grateful to be alive. Like, you know, I got home and I was like, I'm back with my family, which, you know, I, I didn't think was going to happen. And I was like, I just need to make this work for him, for my, my new baby son. You know, I was like, I need to work harder. I need to be strong for him. So you don't have time to just sit and cry. You know, you don't have time to sit and grieve what's happened to you. And because you just have to get on with it. And for any parents listening, like you really don't have that much downtime, particularly when, like you mentioned earlier, attachment, I had to like work even harder with this attachment now because he didn't know me and I didn't know him. So, so suddenly I feel like all those first few years since I recovered were, was just getting better and being stronger for him. And then it just, so it just so happens that like you say, now I'm in academia and, um, the last few years I've been focusing on well-being and wellness and like mental health having positive mental health and it, I would say maybe the last 12 months and obviously I've spoke, I've given people nuggets throughout the last eight years you know they love hearing the weird story of the nurse I thought that was poisoning me when she changed my fluids you know I, I thought she was attaching um, cyanide and you know they love so at a dinner party I've thrown out nuggets of randomness but <laughs> but honestly you you just feel so grateful to be alive that you well for me personally I didn't want to dwell on the fact that I could have died and I didn't want to maybe maybe not remember it because you're I'll be honest I, I'm always thinking about it every single day my mind wanders back to the intensive care unit at least once a day um but you don't want to be that person that's always harping on about the bad thing that happened eight years ago so I say it's kind of the last 12 months the more that I've been supporting others around me um I trained to be a Samaritan and it just made me think like I re I really like to be there for people and listen to them but how much have I spoken about my own journey and and so this was why when I saw UK Sepsis Trust you know and all the stuff I was really keen to share it and and build other people's awareness and then I'd say maybe the last six months maybe I've thought actually I should maybe I will feel better about everything if I talk more about it and then the best thing I did, and it's really sad, this is eight years later, is literally in the last couple of weeks, I went to one of your um, recovery, your online recovery sessions, and it was the most therapeutic thing. I feel really emotional now. <laughs> the most wow. therapeutic thing I've done in eight years. Why on earth did it take me eight years? Um, although, you know, I didn't see that, that opportunity eight years ago, but oh my gosh, I just, I have never felt because I have, to, I've told people bits of my journey, but I've never felt so secure to tell my story. And I cried like an absolute baby, but other people were crying like babies. And, and it just felt like for anyone listening or for, or for anyone who's, who's had something 
that you've never thought anyone could quite relate to but suddenly I was in this online room um, you know there were several people there as well as the the person from the UK Sepsis Trust to facilitate but they had all had sepsis all very different um, sepsis in all different parts of the body and places I didn't even know you could have it and I've learned a lot even just in that session but but the unspoken safety of everyone having this shared experience everyone there had had sepsis so you just felt like you're amongst friends even though I'd never met any of them before all different ages all different backgrounds but it just felt like this safe space and yeah I I told them like what happened to me very briefly not as much as I told you today Ron and and just like they got it and and I started telling them like some weird things and symptoms afterwards and they were like yeah I had that I had that and just like the peer support from that I think it was about an hour and a half because I was teaching that day so I only stayed an hour and a half I think it went on longer but oh my gosh I left like I hadn't worn waterproof mascara so that was an error anyone listening if you're gonna if you wear makeup and you're going to one of these amazing groups wear waterproof makeup but I I left the meeting and I just sat there and it was just like a light bulb came on and I was just like wow oh my gosh I'm so glad I did this and I, and I hope I'll go to another one in the future but even just that one even just that hour and a half online felt so good to finally know that that I'm not alone in this journey that's 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 incredible puppy I mean really good testimony to our support nurses and the, the oh. brilliant work that they do but you know if we can make one more person go to one of those support groups um early in their recovery journey then we will have achieved an enormous amount of good and so just for, for those listening we have support nurses we, we have not only online support groups but we also have face-to-face support groups which aren't as heavily accessed as they were prior to COVID-19 but they are still there and we have a whole suite of written resources that uh, we can offer people as well as nurses on the end of a phone or an email so support is there it's probably our failing as much as yours puppy that you didn't know about it but certainly tell no, others at all. no no <laughs> guilt no blame but if I, i'm not sure if i'm allowed to shout out but the person who facilitated begins with O, and they're amazing I don't know if I <laughs> um but yeah just for, for anyone listening please do it for me I, I didn't know any local ones in the area so online was best for me and I felt super nervous I nearly cancelled 10 times because it said in the email yeah. if you can't come let us know and I and I nearly did so I was like why who wants to hear my story like they don't even know me but oh my gosh like I'm so so glad so for anyone listening and and I also thought I'm such a fraud because it's been eight years like I'm such a baby to be going now but totally there was just no judgment the facilitator was like no just like thank goodness you're here now and and everyone what actually was really good as someone who'd had it you know such a long time ago there were people there who've very recently recovered some people that's been a year two years three years four years but actually like to be able to give a a more long-term perspective on it it is actually helpful that you'll all be at different stages as well and so yeah I would just say for anyone listening it is it's the best thing the most productive thing I've done towards healing in the last eight years since having sepsis that that's incredible thank you so much and so um, uh, finally poppy you 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 are vocal about sepsis on your social media channels which obviously we massively appreciate because you have quite a significant reach on those channels obviously you're primarily doing it to help others and to get the message out there but what what motivates you to do this what 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 do you get out of talking about maternal sepsis you know i guess 
I guess I just wish, you know, there's that, that saying, I always mess up quotes, but something like, you know, be the person you wish you'd had in your life when you were a child or something, and you'd mess it up. But I, get, I guess I just wish that if I had known about this sooner, um, that, that I, you know, maybe it would have been caught sooner, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have ended up in intensive care, or even, I think just showing that we've all, we've all got trauma, we've all been through really difficult things, um, you know, because a lot of people on my network will, you know, haven't had maternal sepsis, but can then, you know, if we can all be kinder to each other and think, actually, we've all dealt with difficult things and tricky things, it just helps unite us, I think, and, and reminds us, you know, that someone's there to listen, and we all struggle with things, but if we can all just help each other a little bit, it just makes the world a kinder place. So I just think, yeah, number one, raising awareness in the hope then one day someone will go, oh, could it be sepsis, <laughs> which is my number one. But yeah, I think just it's, it's so important that we, you know, a lot of people say to me, you're really positive. But what I don't like is that toxic positivity, you know, oh, everything's great. Everything's sunshine. Because I think it's yeah. about like so many things in my life are sunshine and for anyone who does follow me on socials you'll know like I have a very positive side because life is amazing and life's beautiful and I think that's the best thing that that sepsis taught me in a way it's like the kind of evil gift it gave me afterwards it it really and for anyone listening who's had sepsis or you know serious illness you will know exactly what I'm talking about because you thought it was the end and it wasn't the end so every day I wake up is a blessing for me like every day is incredible so I do have that really annoying very positive side but I think also by showing that I went through these really this really awful the worst thing that could happen to you you know to be almost at end of life um to show that that happened to me but that you can still enjoy life and be happy I I just hope I guess to inspire others that you can still find joy you know the horrible things might have happened to you but with the right support around you you know life is still worth living well I mean what an amazing philosophy and you know I, I totally agree goodness knows the world needs a lot more kindness in it at the moment so yeah. so thank you and Poppy thank you so much for for taking the time to share your experience I, I really appreciate it I know there's going to be other mums out there who've had sepsis who can relate to a lot of what you're saying um, and mums to be or even people who are pregnant now who will have learned will know what to look for and be empowered to act if they're getting a little oh. bit worse with an infection um so for anyone listening who wants to know more about our support groups more about maternal sepsis you can get information at our website which is sepsistrust.org a reminder of those six key symptoms of sepsis whether you're pregnant or recently pregnant or have never been pregnant they spell the word sepsis S for slurred speech or confusion, E for extreme pain in the muscles or joints, you ticked that one, P for uh, passing no urine in a day and you ticked that one, <laughs> S for severe breathlessness, I for it feels like I'm going to die, another big tick and then the final S for skin that's mottled, discoloured or very pale. Any one of those six, whether you're pregnant or not, you go straight to A&E. Mm -hmm. Now that really is, that's all we've got time for today but please join us next time where we'll be discussing how sepsis is represented in the media a vital conversation about how awareness is the one key thing we need to do to save lives from this awful condition thanks so much for listening everyone thanks to poppy for sharing her story publicly for the first time ever <laughs> We're incredibly you. grateful and we'll see you soon